0: And the first preview session, we just laid out six general ideas that we need to keep in our minds for the duration of this. And then session one, which was on Wednesday night, Um, that was what we called the Gospels and the Beginning. And why we called it that is because we really dove into the Gospels as far as who wrote it, what was going on. So we kind of understood that before we dive into the text because we need to know who wrote it, who are they writing to, all of these great kind of things. And then we talked about this concept of fulfillment. So I want to give you a little bit of a recap. If you can't make it on Wednesdays, Wednesdays are our deeper dive. That's cool. Like I said, it's online. Go to YouTube, type in Ardent Church. We are the only Ardent Church um, that that is there. Just type it in. You'll see it, okay? I don't want to hear anything about, well, I wish the camera looked better, and I wish the audio was better. Uh, We're doing our best, all right? If you want to volunteer your time, you can do it, okay? So let's talk about the preview session, because I need you to wind up really quickly here, so we're jumping right back into this, because every week builds off the next week, okay? So if you miss one... I highly, highly recommend, okay, go back. They're like anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour long uh, of of the teaching. Go back and listen to it. Get the notes because we're going to build off of each other. So if you're kind of missing each and every piece of it, you're going to get to the end and be like, why is everybody so excited about this? This is just, and it's like, oh, because you didn't get all the other pieces of it, okay? It's kind of like if someone was looking at one puzzle piece and be like, this isn't a very pretty picture. But if you look at the whole puzzle, you're like, whoa. So that's what you'll be doing, okay? So let's look at all of it. The first session, the preview session, we talked about these six six ideas that we need to understand and keep in our mind before we jump into it, okay? I will slow down when we get to the new information, don't worry, okay? I didn't even drink a full Red Bull. Caleb got me one. I took two sips and put it down. So, this is just pure s- spiritual, no, that sounded bad. I was going to okay, let's keep going. Here's the six things. <laughs> Jesus is all about kingdom coming. It's the first thing you know about Jesus when we're reading his words. Everything he is consumed with is about the kingdom of God and it coming and it being a part of this world. That's what he's focused on. That's what he cares about. Every situation we read about, he tends to bring it up, okay? You need to also understand that Christ gave us the key to it. This is what it says in scripture. This is all week one, so I'm going really quick with this. He gave us the key to this to access this thing, right? Like if there's a door and a way into something and you need a key, right? So, like someone leaves you to watch their house, what do they do? They hand you the key, you know, because you need to be able to access it. So so he gave the key, okay? Keys, plural, actually, is what it says. So there's lots of things that help us understand this, okay? Christ is the door, okay? He's saying, I am the access point. That's what the door means. Or a gate is another way that it's phrased in, in like, Psalms and other places. It's like, he's the gate. He's the door. He's the way you get in to this thing called the kingdom of God, right? Yep. There's nothing in and about the kingdom of God that is natural. Nothing. Nothing. So if you look to the kingdom of God, and you look to the spiritual realm, you look to the spirit of God, and you expect to see and get natural things out of it, you are missing everything about it. I'm just going to keep honing in on that one real quick, (sighs) because nothing, guys. Not like a little bit. Nothing. Not a single thing. Matter of fact, Jesus had to keep pointing this out like the whole time, which we're going to get to in like week. I believe is where Jesus is like my kingdom is not of this world like there's there's nothing about it that's even from here and about this place at all okay does that mean that you don't see natural things happen because of it no not at all OK, like th- things happen because of it. OK, but let me just I'll just go ahead and just whack this whack-a-mole. We're going to play spiritual whack-a-mole for a minute here. OK, well, what about if I give won't it be given unto me? Sure. But if you're given for that purpose, that's called greed. That is not called giving. That's the opposite of it, it has nothing to do with the spirit of God. OK, so let's just stop that. As a matter of fact, if you give any money or anything to the church and you're like, well, I'm giving because he's going to pay me back. Just keep it. OK, keep it. We don't want it. All right? We don't want My dad used to say you you gave that $1 bill watered it up so tight George Washington had an afro. Like <laughs> keep it. Okay? A heart of giving expects nothing in return. God wants your time. God wants your whole life. Okay? So we'll leave all that alone. Nothing is natural. Everything about Christ is echoed from Genesis all the way through every book of the Bible. It's all echoing this one idea of Christ and the kingdom of God all together. And what we looked at that was actually the tree of life and how Christ was hung on a tree. And he says, I am the way, the truth the life. We looked at all that in detail. I'm not gonna go back through all of that and that. And then the last one was actually the first one that I gave y'all are like, wait, he skipped one because I have it in my notes. No, I saved it for last because this is one of the most important things while we're doing this entire study to understand. There is nothing about the kingdom of God that is hidden away from you. It is not hidden from you. It is not special for the elite. There's nothing about it that is that way. We tend to think of it that way because we observe someone that seems to have information or things we don't understand and we think, oh, they're just God. They get these special revelations and everything. No, they probably just spent time dedicated in study or prayer. And the Spirit of God didn't reveal it to them. It was already revealed. They just went and opened the door. I'm like, whoa. Let me ask you a question. If a door is closed and I go and open it and I see something in there and I shut the door back and I walk out and I'm like, dude, dude, Monique, have you seen what's in that door? And she's like, no, I have not seen it. It's just hidden from me. No, go open the door. There's nothing about the kingdom of God that is hidden from you. There's nothing about the person of Christ. There's nothing that I could understand that you can't understand. Okay. God is no respecter of person is what scripture says. Which means if he would show it to one person because the door's already unlocked, remember God Christ gave us the keys, Jesus is the door. It's just unlocked. It's just wide open. You just gotta walk through it. And anyone can. Now, because the door is open, you can walk right back out of it. And that's the issue we all have. We get these split moments of, wow, I see who God is. And then, like, literally 24 hours later, I'm talking to you. I'm like, does God still exist in your world? Because it sounds like he doesn't anymore. You walked right back out that door, and you're just like, I'm looking at everything else now. Oh, y'all don't like that. Okay so what this is called this idea of hidden knowledge is called gnosticism it's something that came out of the greek era and it, it has influenced modern christianity so much and it's horrible it has nothing to do with god it's not how god does things at all okay now that was all the pretext you need to understand to understand what we talked about. Now then, on Wednesday we talked about the gospels, and we have this really cool sheet uh, I'm gonna have printed next Wednesday, and it has all four gospels, and then it has who wrote it, who they wrote it to. It's kind of a detailed breakdown of what they're covering and how they're covering it. Okay, so we're gonna have that printed out for you guys so you can take it home and use it for that kind of thing. So we talked about the gospels, and then we talked about two events that happened in the gospels uh, of, around Jesus. Number one was his baptism, because we we're not really gonna study in any of this, by the way, guys. We're not gonna study anything about his birth and all that kind of stuff you yeah, we'll save that for Christmas maybe if we're still on this uh no uh, we're, we're not going to cover any of that not because it's not important but it's we're learning the message Jesus taught so because we want to know the message Jesus taught we're not going to go back before he started teaching his message we're going to look at when his message began, which the first thing that we see happening and him speaking largely is from his baptism on. There's one account of one thing he said prior to that when he was a young man and he kind of smarts off to his parents. Y'all remember that? We talked about it. And what did he say? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Why was that written? To show you that everything about him was concerned with the kingdom of God, the business of the kingdom. I mean, he's got so many vacation days, guys. Like <laughs> he has just built up some PTO. So the baptism of Jesus, we covered that and we talked about that. We talked about John and and, and who covered it and what covered. Then we talked about 40 days in the wilderness. We talked about this time period in which he was being tested and, and what his answers were. Does anybody want to tell me what his answers were every single time? The word of God. He responded with... The words of God. He did not respond in his own power, his own thoughts, his own anything. We could learn a huge lesson right here. I could preach all day on not responding to things in what you think is a good idea. Respond to it in what the Spirit of God says is a good idea. We could just stop right there, go home. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we talked about something that happened between both of these stories. Even when they differed between the four Gospels... The four accounts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even when they differed, there was one core thing that came after all, in all four of them, no matter if their stories varied slightly, one idea, it's fulfilled. The law is fulfilled, so the old things you had to do is now completed and fulfilled, and that righteousness is now fulfilled, this idea of fulfillment, it's done. Now is the time, right? Y'all remember that? That's what we talked about all last week. One thing I do want to say about the Gospels before we go and read it is I hear a lot of people say. About the gospel. So if you guys are not aware, there are four gospels. The word gospel means good news. What good news? Any good news just means good news. So that's why we say the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning it's good news about the kingdom of God, good news about Jesus Christ. It's good news. So this good news, these four accounts of the good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are four different people's perspectives on the same events Now, something that's kind of interesting, I've heard people say, well, see, they don't match up, they contradict each other. They actually don't um, read and use your brain. They don't contradict each other because if they had lined up perfectly, could you imagine this? Get, Get three kids, okay? I've had this experience. I'll use the denim boys and my boys. Um, you get them together, that gets a rowdy bunch, and uh, at my old house, actually, we, were <laughs> they, we had a playroom upstairs, and I walk up at the end of a, a, it looked like a rager or something, there's like Capri Suns laying everywhere, they stayed up till like 4 a.m., and I, I'm looking up, and a globe to my ceiling fan is like gone, like, and I look in the trash can, and all of it's in there. I, I, I think they were like, yeah, they're not going to notice that so it's gone. Uh, <laughs> And I got them all together and I just said, what happened? To what? You know, you, you know kids, right? Now, if I had taken them each separately and said, now tell me what happened. And, he, and, and, and you know, let's, let's just, yeah, come on. And they told me the exact same story as this person and this person told And they were identical. You'd say, you have, you have collaborated ahead of time. And you don't believe a single one of them, do you? But why would we take that approach to stories that were written by four different people who had four different perspectives? So, of course, they're going to slightly vary, but the core behind what they say is the same. They give a lot of the same stories. Why doesn't this guy say about it? Well, read the other guy. He wasn't there. Like, literally, I get so perplexed by the idiocracy of reading a story that says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew and Mark, or Peter and and John, and it says who went, and then, well, well, why didn't Andrew write about it? He wasn't there. It's like, I can't write about what you did last night. You probably don't want me to either. Okay, I'm just kidding. So we have to understand this about the Gospels. When we read them, that actually gives us more credibility because it shows they were not cooperating together ahead of time to try to make this and they actually tell us at the beginning of each one of them if you read the first chapter they kind of give you an idea as to what it is they're trying to accomplish with it one of them says like i'm trying to give an orderly account i want you to know the history one of them opens it with this huge poem john and he's trying to tell you this it's called a cosmic poem if you're interested and he's tying in genesis he's painting this huge elaborate tapestry of what he's about to talk about that's what john does so we know they wrote them for different purposes and different meanings and, different, and, and, and those types of things. So when we read these four together, as we're going to do this morning, yeah, they line up a lot. They kind of are, are different here and there a little bit. They kind of point out different things because they're trying to tell about different things, right? Like some of you, when you leave today and someone says, how was church? You may point out that we prayed for people because that was the most important part to you. Someone else may say, Jared sweat through his shirt before he even started teaching. Someone else may say, hey... You know, like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm like I'm dripping sweat underneath here, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have two shirts set up here and be like, all right, music's done, wardrobe change. Okay, so, <laughs> but when we look at it, we can look at that and understand why they did it, and then when we see the differences, we don't look at them as something to, to say, oh, there's different, we look at it and say, huh, what is he trying to get me to get at right here, right? We all have different perspectives of it, okay? So, now, we looked at this idea of fulfillment that came out, and then we looked at a prophecy. So uh, let's just real quick, I'm going to hit this this morning, and then, then I'm done with all of the, the prior stuff. And then we can just read. We're only reading one story this morning, guys. Isn't that cool? <laughs> let's read more. Actually, two stories, I forgot. But, uh, <laughs> but let, let's just let's, let's real quick, just real quick, let's talk about prophecy for a minute. Okay, what is prophecy? The word prophesy, if you were just to break it down in its simplest form, it just means to proclaim something. It doesn't mean fortune telling, future telling. A lot does it carry this idea of future events? Most of the time, yes. Okay, but prophesying could mean to just uplift somebody and say, "Hey, do you know God's good?" And do you know that's a version of prophecy? So let's remove mysticism because it's not that. Now, does God give information to people over time that has been something that will happen? Yes, absolutely. That's happened all the time. Um, and it still happens to this day. I can tell you about people I've talked to in this church that have said, hey, I really feel like in like a couple of months, I just feel like God's saying like this is something. And then lo and behold, it's like, oh, did, you see that? did you see that? And then we turn around like Steph and I are like, why did he share that with us? And we're finally learning. It's like maybe it's because we're supposed to change things when he tells us that and not keep doing the same thing over and over. This is the idea of it, to, for, to, to help you understand it. So there are like hundreds of prophecies about christ specifically about this idea of there will be a man someday that comes and when he comes he's going to fulfill all of this stuff and here's how you know who it is and they they go it goes from things about what he'll do what he'll say and where he's born like things he can't control and all this kind of stuff so we looked at a prophecy of where he was going to be born 700 years before that last time i checked you didn't get to pick where you were born Okay, so Jesus couldn't couldn't have orchestrated that. He couldn't have been like, I read the scripture and it said, and you know, and well, do we have proof outside the gospels? Absolutely. It's called the Corinian or something like that census. It's from Rome. And it shows us that actually, yes, they had to go back to their hometowns, which was Bethlehem, which was where uh, Joseph and them are from, and it's actually a place that raises lambs. That's kind of interesting, I would think. Um, so that this is this is what, what happened, and this prophecy was given 700 years beforehand. It's pretty cool, right? Y'all want to hear one other cool thing? I'm going to tell you one other cool thing. Uh, so the other cool thing about these prophecies, there's a guy named Peter Stoner. If you Google Peter Stoner, and he he wrote a two like a two part book kind of a thing, and it's called The Probability of Prophecy or The Probability of Science and Prophecy. Uh, prophecy. Um, and basically, he he's a mathematician. And he took eight of the prophecies and said, what is the likelihood that a person could have done eight of the, there's like 400 guys, prophecies throughout the Old Testament. So, but he said, the math is too complicated. We're just going to do eight. Let's, let's, let's figure out what the probability is that someone could even do eight of these things. Okay. Eight. Are y'all hearing me? Y'all are already bored. I didn't even got started yet. Okay. Jeez, I'm just getting revved up here, okay? This is so cool to me. Okay? So so eight of the prophecies what 's the probability? and I actually put it in the notes from last on Wednesday, so you can actually read all eight of them and how he figured it out mathematically and blah 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 blah. And I have the full like sixty page document if you want it i 'll give it to you it 's also you can Google it okay and what he comes up with is it 's like the equivalent of one to ten to the one hundred and fifty seventh power, which the number is like one hundred quadrillion. Uh, like, that's the odds. That is the worst lottery you've ever been in in, my, in your life, okay? One to like a hundred quadrillion that you could do these eight things. Only eight of them. That is impossible. And so he went ahead, Peter Stone is this guy, he's a mathematician, much smarter than all of us combined, probably. And he, he, he goes ahead and says, well, how many people are, are estimated to have ever existed on planet Earth? Like, a fourth of that. There's not even been enough people to have ever lived To make the probability even probable. Just to kind of help you understand why that's why there's so much written about these prophecies ahead of time, 700 years. And we have the documents from like 700 years ago. That's why it's so important to help us point to the person of Christ. Now, let's continue on to some understandings here. So, we're going to look at a parable today. And we're going to dive into it. And understand it. And this parable is, is, is kind of a, it's kind of a tripartite. It's like got three pieces to the one parable. It's all actually in one fell swoop. And uh, yes, tripartite. uh, That is the word, Jonathan. That's a real word. I didn't make it up. Uh, (laughs) And it's, it's, it's this kind of a three moves, right? Who's ever been to like a play? it's like act one, act two, act three. That's kind of what this is. It's like a three-parter here. And it's commonly referred to as new wine and old wineskins. That's what a lot of people uh, refer to it as, if you've ever heard this. So let me give you the three locations that this is at. So this is not mentioned in the book of John. Okay, John, his gospel doesn't mention this at all. But the other three do, and the other three are pretty similar. The other three, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start at verse Uh, 10 in this one, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through verse 17. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through verse 17. And then Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 22. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 22. And Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 39. We're actually going to read the account of Luke for the, for the sake of time, and then you'll hear me read the same thing three times over. They're pretty close. I will share with you a couple of the differences just so you're aware, because like I said, that's what I want to do in this entire journey that we're on is give you where they're all three located so you can go back and look at them yourself on your own time. Um, So Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through 39 is where this takes place. We're going to read from uh, Luke 5. Here's why I chose Luke. Uh, Luke kind of is a good synopsis between the other two. Okay, the book of Matthew gives us one extra thing that Jesus says that the other two don't really give us fully. Uh, and then in the gospel of Mark, he doesn't say something that, you know, kind of that, that uh, Luke does. So Luke is kind of the better uh, synopsis. But like I said, these variations are very, very minor. Um, it's it's kind of like uh, what was said is all the same and who said it is pretty much all the same. But who was the guy's complaining varies. Like who, who complained first? of (laughs) a thing. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 5. I want to read the whole thing, and then I just want to point out a couple of things, and then, guys, I'm going to drop the mic this morning. Not literally because it's attached to my ear, but figuratively speaking. Let's read Luke chapter 5 verse 29, okay? Luke chapter 5 verse 29, all right? I'm in Matthew chapter 9. Hang on. Luke chapter 5 verse 29. Okay, cool. So, Verse 29 right here, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others uh, that sat down with them, verse 30, but the scribes and the Pharisees complained, or murmured, yours might might say, against his disciples, Jesus' disciples is who we're talking about here, saying, why do you eat and drink with the publicans and the sinners, verse 31, and Jesus answered and said to them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, verse 32, I came to call, not to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance, verse 33, and he said unto them, uh, and they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. So Jesus' disciples are eating and drinking when they're supposed to be fasting, verse 34, and Jesus says unto them, or, and he said unto them, depending on your translation, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Verse 35. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, and they shall fast in those days. Verse 36. And he spoke also in this parable to them. No man puts a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, both of them, the new uh, make rent, and the piece that was taken out... uh, Of the new agrees not with the old. Now, again, this is King James. I'm going to explain all this. I know some of you are like, keep going with me. Verse 37. And no man puts new wine into old wineskins. Some of your translations say bottles. There's a difference. We'll talk about that. Else the new wine will burst the bottles or the wineskins and be spilt out, and the bottles or the wineskins will perish. Verse 38. But the new wine must be put in new bottles, and both are preserved. Verse 39. No man also, having drunk the old wine, straight away desires the new, for he will say, the old is better. Whew. Did y'all get all that? Go home. Now, let's decipher a little bit. We're not having to decipher because it's hidden knowledge, though, right? We're having to decipher because this was written, give or take, 2,000 years ago. We speak differently than they speak. We have a different culture than they had. There's things that they meant. I mean, has anyone ever even heard the word bride chamber before? That's an English word, and we're like, uh, it's my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's talk about this. What's happening here? There's so much to this, guys. Okay? This is what all three accounts give, okay? Let's just say first thing. And Levi made a great feast. Who's Levi? His name's also Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew, okay? If y'all aren't aware of that, the book of Matthew, his real name was Levi. They changed it because people were concerned that if you saw Leviticus and Levi, You know, they're like some dumb rednecks. Someday there's some dumb rednecks from Texas, and we got to make sure they, they know the difference, okay? This is actually very common in ancient writings to change the name in a story to match a name from their culture, okay? So, for instance, Miriam... Would actually have been Mary's name, but the English way and word of that and not Hebrew is Mary, right? So, there's, there's name shifts and that's not, oh, they did it to cover up. They, no cover up. No hidden knowledge. Keep, get that crap out of your mind, okay? They just, because that was common at the day. They changed, changed names like that. Has anyone ever tried to read the Iliad? It's like, good, could y'all just make everyone's name Tom and John because epicles uh, uh, and all these people weird names, right? So, they changed the name so you could understand and kind of get an idea in the sense of who they're talking about. So, Levi, Matthew, makes this great feast. Real quick, who was Matthew? He was a tax collector. Like that was his job, okay? So who is he going to invite to his house? All his work buddies, okay? All the publicans and the others or the sinners, okay? So basically, he must be doing pretty well for himself. The IRS was doing well back then too. And he basically has, has a huge feast, okay? And he invites all of his buddies. And he also invites Jesus. Now, why did he invite Jesus? If you read right before this, which we will later, but we're not going to talk about the story, Jesus just did a miracle and Levi, Matthew, witnessed it and is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow this guy because Jesus is like, hey, follow me. And he's like, done and leaves. And then they go have dinner together. Like, you know, and you're like, can we do that? Can we leave and go have dinner together right now? Uh, <laughs> so they go, have, they go have dinner together. And he invites all of his buds, and they're all sitting there, hanging out and chilling, whatever, right? It says, but the scribes and the Pharisees, let's just give this a quick translation. These are the super like, affluent people who understand. The scribes are people who are, like, can read and write, which was a very special thing in that day and age, okay? And like, they, they were the people who transcribed Scripture. They were like... They were pretty holy people. And the Pharisees, who were the people who were also very much like they knew all the laws. And so we could just chalk this up to like religious people. Okay? Can we just, can we just, that's not really a leap. Agreed? Okay? These were people who understood everything about the the, the, the Hebrew faith and, and, and the Jewish faith and, and they are complaining to Jesus' disciples about the fact that they're eating and drinking with the publicans in the center. So like why they are breaking bread with people in the Jewish culture, they're not supposed to. Okay, they're not supposed to be doing this. I find something interesting real quick. This is gonna hit pretty hard, and this is just a little fun. Whoop. <laughs> didn't you notice they didn't go to Jesus with that at all? They were like, yeah, no, we'll just complain to the disciples. There's a number one way you can know if you're religious. If you ain't going to the person directly and you're going around the person, you're just religious. You're just trying to stir up crap. Okay. And then don't be, don't be perplexed when shit hits the fan because you did that. Stop blaming God for it. Blaming other people. That was your own fault because you enacted that scripture right there and went around. Go to God. Okay, so they're complaining to the disciples. And look at Jesus. This is maturity right here. You want to know the difference in maturity and immaturity? A mature person confronts things head on and just says, let's put a stop to that. Immaturity evades and runs, okay? Jesus says he hears it. He doesn't let it fly. He says, hey, idiots, people who are whole don't need a physician. People who are sick do. Like I mean, that's pretty, like, you know, unless you're a hypochondriac, you don't show up to the hospital with nothing wrong with you right? Which there is something wrong with you. It's your head. No. So, right. So if we look at this, what is Jesus saying? Like, hey, mind your own business. You're, you're, you got it. You stay over here. These people need healing and I'm a physician. Now, not naturally speaking, spiritually speaking. Remember, Jesus is consumed with the kingdom of God. Nothing he says is about natural things. Everything he says is about spiritual understanding, spiritual things, right? So Jesus says, hey, Those who are whole, those who are right, they don't need help. These people do. That's why we're doing this. So shut your mouth. Can I just give you that version? He's basically saying, hush, leave us alone. I didn't bother you. I didn't invite you because I didn't want you anyways. He didn't say that. I'm just, you know, I imagine he did. (laughs) No, he's saying, hey, you guys don't need my help right now. These guys do. There's a lot packed into the, the mind of Christ right there. Okay, we'll keep going. And then they said to, uh, to his disciples, so look, Jesus addresses them, and they still go back to talking to the disciples, idiots. And they say, well, why do the disciples of John? They fast all the time and make prayers. And likewise, the disciples of us, the Pharisees and everything, we, uh, you know, we do that, but you are eating and drinking. You're not fasting. You're not doing the rituals. You're not doing the right things. And Jesus, I'll help you out. Don't talk to my disciples. They're not very wise. Just give me 3 years they still won't get it, right? So that was a joke about you. Okay. Okay, so right here, Jesus says to them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Okay. There's a couple things we need to break down right here. This phrase children of the bride chamber is in reference to a wedding feast. So this parable really opens up right here where he's like, he, he starts giving an analogy, which all parables are uh, like an analogy in them. And he says, Hey, when you're at a wedding feast, cause they would have understood this, this children of the bride chamber was a phrase meant all of the guests, of the party, right? Like everybody that's there, like the reception hall, right? Okay. Y'all think we do weddings big. They did weddings huge back in the day. Okay. And so the word bride chamber, actually what it means is the room in which the ceremony was held. So not like, not the room in which they went to after the fact, the room where the party is, but it also meant like the wedding party. We would commonly look at it like this, like the best man, And the maid of honor, right? What is their jobs? Like to take care of everything, right? Like they're they're supposed to, you know, keep everything together. So he's saying, can you make all the guests of a wedding feast stop eating and drinking at a wedding feast? (laughs) Anybody ever been to a wedding? You're like, oh, this was a bad idea. So he said, like, can you make them while the bridegroom is there? Meaning the bridegroom, if you're not familiar with, there's a bride and a bridegroom. Bridegroom is how we now commonly say just the groom. So he's saying, can, when they're there, is everybody still partying and everything? Yeah. When they leave, what happens then? Everybody stops eating and cleans up. Or if you're a lazy person, you leave before the cleanup happens. Okay? So this is what he's saying. He's like, can you stop a feast Whenever they're there, no, there's joyous occasions. Y'all get in the picture that he's painting here. He says, You can't do that. So he's saying, I'm here. Because what does he say next? In verse 35, he says, There are days coming when the bridegroom, guys, just so you know, in all of scripture of the New Testament, when you see bridegroom, it is like always referring to Jesus. There's like no story of weddings outside of that. Like, and some of you are thinking, What about the wedding at Cana? We're going to talk about that in a minute. So, Bridegroom, So Jesus is referring to himself right here. He's saying there's going to come a day when the bridegroom is taken away, meaning that I am no longer here. Just for fun, that word taken away means to be lifted up. It's kind of a foreshadowing of what's coming a little bit later in Jesus' life. Um, so he says there's going to be a day that I'm taken away. And then they'll fast in those days. Guys, 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 guys. Acts chapter 2, it says they were waiting in one mind and one accord, waiting for the Spirit. And if you actually look into it, they were fasting during that time. Jesus has already given them instructions, and it's already telling us what they're going to do. Because when he leaves, they're going to go, and they're going to fast. They're going to stop this partying and celebration, and they're going to stop, and they're going to fast until what? Until it comes. Mm Mm-hmm. Verse 36, now he continues with his idea. So he's saying, hey, you can't stop a wedding party because, you know, there ain't no party like a wedding party because the wedding party don't stop, right? So he's like, he's like you can't stop this when, when they're there and, and when, when, <laughs> when there's food and drink. And when they go, then, then this thing's going to happen. And then he continues on and he says, hey, nobody puts new. Now, he says, no man, no man puts a new piece of garment upon an old one, otherwise the new one will make rent, meaning the new one is going to tear away from the old, it's going to be ruined, the new one's ruined, and then the old one's ruined. So nobody wins. Now, we have to understand some culture right here. In their culture, every time there was a wedding, it was the responsibility, y'all better be glad right now that we don't do this thing, okay? It was the responsibility of those who were throwing the party, throwing the wedding, that they bought new garments for everyone that was coming. Weddings just got real small. <laughs> like whew. I'm going to leave all of that. Just go research the culture behind this. There's a lot. Because you remember righteousness, which is what you're made, um, is often referred to as a cloak. So just pepper that in with this, because we'll get to this a little bit later. So when Jesus is saying that, he's not just saying, like, hey, you know, like, I I bet you Pharisees so, you know? Like, no. They understood it, because why? He already opened it up to the wedding idea. Agreed? So he's already talking about this wedding, so that's why he uses this analogy. He's like, hey, at a wedding... It would be shameful, by the way, in their culture if you did not provide everyone with a new robe. So, like, if you, I don't know, tried to kind of take some new cloth and, like, just pin it on there. And, you know, like, <laughs> let's just get everybody garters. So that's, that's a little easier. Isn't that what they're called? I don't know. I don't, whatever the pin thingy is. Y'all can tell I hate weddings, okay? <laughs> no, he says, no one tries to sew that to the old one because what happens? is going to ruin both of them. Then he goes a step further and says, okay, if y'all aren't getting that one, because you're supposed to provide robes, let me give it to you this way. No one takes new wine and put it in an old wineskin. The reason it's important, not a bottle in a wineskin, is because a bottle is just a piece of glass that they did not use at that time. They used what was called a wineskin. It's basically a leather pouch. Like, y'all watch some good old westerns or something like that, and they're like, give me that. Not the canteen, but, you know, the little leather pouch, and they're like, that's right. And then they're squeezing out every last drop. That would be like a wineskin. Now, something interesting happens if you take a wineskin that was already used and then put new wine into it. It actually, the yeast process will explode it. Like... God, the kids aren't in, oh, the youth are. They're going to go like, let's do this. And like, Science experiment. Uh, so, so he's saying, you wouldn't do that because it will explode. And then what happens? Not only is the new wine gone, but now the carrying case that you could use is, is now ruined. You can't use it for anything else. It's, it's, it's destroyed. Now, one of the things that the, the, the bride chamber, so the, 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 the wedding feast people's responsibility was to provide all the food and drink. Right, everything that's there—they're supposed to provide it all. So all of this, all of this partying and whatnot, like that—it's a huge wedding feast. They're supposed to provide it, and he's saying when you're providing it, you wouldn't do it that way because it's going to ruin it all. And he says, but the new wine must be put into new wine skins so that they are both preserved. Real quick, we have to be careful see, I've said this a lot. Jesus came to tear down religion. He did. Religion, not tear down the old law and understanding. There's a difference between that. He came to take man's version of it and get rid of it. But he said in the process of that, we cannot get rid of where we came from. We can't get rid of the understanding because if you get rid of that, you're going to get rid of all the prophecy. You're going to get rid of every bit of evidence that points to me. That's why he's saying you can't, because if, if you try to meld them together, first off, you're just ruining both things. And look at the modern church. It's just ruined. It's just people find no relevance in it. Why? Because we tried to take something new that the Spirit of God's doing to an old, and we just tried to mix it together. Let's just make it work. And then we're getting mad at these people because they don't want the new wine. Oh, wait, he answers that right here in verse 39. He says, but also having drunk the old wine straight away, that word straight away is immediately, They don't desire the new because they'll say the old is better. He's telling you right here. Who doesn't like change? Everybody, everybody's like, no, I love it. No, when it happens to you, you don't like it. If you're the one causing change, you're perfectly fine with it. But if someone else is causing you to change, you don't like it. Okay. So what is he saying? He's like, right away when this different thing comes, you're not going to understand it. This ties back to him saying, hey, those who are whole don't need a physician. Those who are, what he's trying to do, what Jesus is trying to do, this whole thing is saying, there's a big party about to happen. And it's happening right now. Okay. And I'm here. You're not, you're not here yet. And that's fine. He wasn't even... Did he attest and say you should be? No. He's saying, I'm here for these first. And like in a party, you wouldn't try to mix the two. You wouldn't try to do this. You would provide new robes to everyone. And you wouldn't try to take the wine and try to cheap out on it. (laughs) He says, so no man drinking the old would then want the new immediately after. So there's going to be a time for this. Now, there's something else that's happening here, and we don't see it. Jesus is trying to preserve what was and fulfill, so all of you there here Wednesday night, he's trying to fulfill that to create what is now and will be. It's almost like there's something says like, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning the old, he's trying to preserve it, so, all those in it are not lost, but trying to remove the religion out of it. He's now what is, which was him on earth, and saying, There is another way this is going to happen as well. I'm, go- I'm going to physically be gone. He, he's, he's already telling us from like off the cuff, this is happening. Can you imagine being the disciples? How dumb would you feel? Like, this is like at the beginning of everything. It's three years you've been hearing the same thing. I will not be with you always. And then he's gone. They're like, Ah! So what is he saying? He's trying to preserve. Here's what is, there's something that will be to come. He's trying t- to paint this picture. And isn't it interesting? He's using this idea of this wedding. He's, he's 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 giving this this idea of what they would have been common understood and been common with at the time of how they did their cultural weddings and things like this. But what is this all talking about? Remember? It was all tied back to they were eating and drinking when they weren't supposed to. Right? I hurt my ear when I slapped my face, sorry. <laughs> I forgot I had this on. <laughs> what is he doing? It's all because he said they're having this argument over you're not doing the rituals right. But did Jesus say you won't do the rituals anymore? No. But he said for a time, we're removing them. Now, we talked about this briefly last Wednesday, and we used baptism as the understanding. So I'm going to give that understanding, and then I'm going to show you the understanding here, okay? Because what we talked about on Wednesday was about baptism and how John says, I will baptize you with water, but there's one to come that will baptize you with Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit and with fire, okay, right? And so we looked at this thing. It's like it was this this interesting three-part thing. It's almost like there's a lot of things that tend to do this. And he's like, right now you're getting baptized physically with water. But what will happen after that is that there is one to come that will baptize you with the Spirit of God, meaning it is not a natural act anymore, but now it is a spiritual thing. Okay? But the act will still remain because when the Spirit gets a hold of you, you will be driven to want to express it, and you will now do a physical act called baptism. Are y'all seeing that? That's, Jesus came to take the rituals of the religion that man had taken and just turned into formalities and saying, let me reintroduce you to the spirit of where that came from, and then you'll just want to do the act. You don't, this religion says, no, just do the act and then hope that the spirit comes. The spirit of God says, get to know me, and then it will drive you to understandings to want to do things. This is the difference in man's way and God's way. Man says do, God says done. Man says you got to do all this kind of stuff and and then you can achieve spirit. And God says, I put my spirit, I gave it to you. It's right there now. It drives you to want to do this. Do y'all see this? This is what y- y'all are not see. I got. I'm going to put a camera here just to show y'all the goosebumps. It's like Spider Man up here. Okay, this is huge. This is huge about. I am going to say it. Sorry. Guys, so much of of, of the modern idea of church is trying to remove ritualistic, remove religion. Yes, get rid of man's way. But in the process, don't get rid of the things that allow us to express what's in our hearts. And that's what the acts are for, all of the acts of worship. Sometimes God moves you in a different way and you do a different act of worship. But what he's trying to say, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to preserve those acts because I gave them to you to begin with but I'm going to fulfill it with the spirit of God. And then it will drive you to it. It's this interesting thing. Now right here with fasting, so that was already done with baptism. Now with fasting, oh, which by the way, didn't Jesus do for 40 days when he was out there? So obviously he doesn't have a problem with fasting. He has a problem with people not understanding fasting. Almost like has a problem with people doing things when there's no meaning or it's empty or void. Genesis 1, the earth is without form and void. My word shall not return unto me void. Empty of what? Spirit. So Jesus says, hey, we're not fasting right now because we're in party mode. (laughs) If I can just phrase it that way. We're here. We're reaching out to those that don't understand your religious side of it, but I want to take that thing fasting, I want to flip it on its head, submerge it in the Spirit of God, and then you'll be driven to want to fast to know me more. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. Y'all didn't catch all that? You think I'm stretching? Go read all three of them. Go start doing your own research. Okay. (laughs) He's trying to keep I had, to, I had to make sure I didn't miss this. I, knew I was like, there's a scripture in Hosea I wanted to point out. He's trying to keep this. Are y'all seeing this pattern? He's trying to maintain, introduce the new, keep them both preserved so that they can be fulfilled and together. Are y'all catching this? There is a scripture in Hosea. And Hosea says in 6.3 says that the latter rain and the former rain will be together. Okay, Some of you are like, what? I've never heard this scripture before. We're going to research it later. Don't worry. But I'm, 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 I'm just peppering this stuff in here. So like by the, this is gonna be one of those like mind-bending movies where you watch it and you're like, wait, that was his son the whole time? Like, like that's what this is gonna happen, okay? And so when we get to the end of this, you're gonna to wanna to go back and watch it all and you're gonna be like, oh, I see it, I see it. But there's no way for me to present this to you and do it justice because God's way bigger than I could ever elaborate on this stuff. So that's why I'm trying to be cognizant of your time, but I need to pepper these things in there because see, this was also a prophecy, that the Christ, the Messiah, would do. It would bring the latter and the former together. And Jesus is trying to point out, I'm trying to get rid of your dumb ideas about these things, but I'm trying to preserve them. Okay, I'll move on. What's the synopsis, real quick, of this, of this parable that Jesus is saying? There is a new thing happening. This new thing is not going to completely Dis, dis, like disassociate from the old thing it's going to take that old thing and make it even better those of you that are in the old thing right now you're cool, stay where you're at, but there's going to come a time in which you need to abandon it. But right now, I'm here for these other people that already are missing the mark. That's why they were called sinners. They're already outside of it. I need to gather them in. You guys are kind of already understanding the prophecy because this. Yes, what well, we don't understand the Pharisees. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah. They weren't sitting around not waiting on the Messiah. They were waiting on the Messiah. And Jesus is like, hey, y'all are, but I haven't fulfilled everything yet. So, of course, you're not going to believe in me. He wasn't even concerned about it. Did y'all see him say, You need to believe on me right now? He doesn't do that until much later. He's saying, Hey, you're cool. I'm getting these people in because then I'm going to merge you both together. Now, I told you, I'm having fun. <laughs> now, John doesn't tell us any of this, but I believe he does. John doesn't give it to us this way. There's something you need to remember from last week. There are three synoptic Gospels. There are three that are given to us to synopsize, to give us a general summary of what happened. There is one given to us that is called an abstract Gospel, meaning that this is not like, uh, it's not specifically historical in nature. It's all about spiritual concepts and understandings. Remember I told you at the beginning, John opens his up with a big poem about the creation of all things and how from the beginning the Word was and the Word will become flesh. That's talking about Adam and Jesus, all at the same time time because John is like a literary ninja. He's like, and does it. It's crazy. But John does give us a story that no one else gives us. John tells us a story that no one else ever tells. And it's called The Wedding at Cana. Let's read it. Can we? Can speaks to ability, and we have the ability, so yes, we can. Let's read this. So this is in John chapter 2, verse 1 is where it begins. John chapter 2, verse 1. We are about to read the words of someone that is a a poetic literary genius to get you to understand something about Christ, about who he is, okay? So get your mind set in that, all right? We're thinking spiritual here. We're not going to be like the people that were talking to Paul, and Paul says, I can't even talk to you spiritually because you think about natural things so much. I, I need you to grow up. Let's be grown up for a minute, okay? Let's put our big boy pants on. All right, let's do this. The wedding at Canaan, this is John chapter 2, verse 1, and the third day there was a marriage. Come on now, we just stop right here. Why did he say on the third day? Anybody following me on this? <laughs> that is so cool. And we just like, on the third day, we just keep reading. He's like, uh, like, Pause. He is trying to already in his first few words, I need you to know what I'm talking about. Because when he wrote this, Christ had already died crucified. All, all that has happened. So when he sets down to write it, he's like, how can I make sure people don't repeat all, like, it took us three years to see it. You know, how can I give it to him? And he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to pepper all of the understanding in it. Because this is one long narrative to help point you to the idea of the spirit of God being back within you and this huge wedding feast. So what does he do to tell us the story about the wedding at Cana? He says, on the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee or in Galilee, sorry, of Galilee, depending on your translation. Cana is a city in the area of Galilee, which, guys, where was Jesus from? Nazareth in Galilee. He traveled all around that area. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples. Now, why didn't it just say Jesus was there? Didn't it just tell us the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples We're called, go look at every gospel when it talks about the Spirit of God and Jesus called to the disciples. Called, this is, again, this is spiritual understanding. Y'all thought y'all were just reading a story about, you know, someone getting married. Okay. To this marriage. They're all coming to this marriage. And when they wanted wine, now real quick, the word wanted here means to be in lack of. So they're out. All right. When the keg is gone, the party is done. That's, that's what they're saying, okay? They're saying, we're out of wine. Now, again, we don't quite get their method of celebration and stuff, and I, I don't want to try to go into it. I'm not a scholar on it, but you can go research weddings. You'll see the thing about the clothes. You'll see the thing. And this was not like a one-day affair, guys. Like, these... They did not stop. It was days of this celebration. I mean, hey, when it takes you like a month to travel somewhere by foot, you're just going to stay and party a little while, okay? So this is a huge event, okay? Huge event. And it says, now they're out of wine. And the, of Jesus, or, and the mother of Jesus said to him, so Mary says to Jesus and says, we have no wine. And Jesus says, in the way it reads in King James, woman, what do I have to do with you? <laughs> My hour has not yet come. I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that in certain ways because I like just see, <laughs> I see. That's how I respond to my wife when I'm like hanging out. And she's like, Jared, Jared, will you go get? I'm like, what? No. I'm enjoying myself. Now, that's not what Jesus is saying here. We'll get into it in a minute. What <laughs> he does respond to it and says, hey, you're asking something of me. What do I have to do with that? Oh, <gasps> guys. Okay, I'll, I'm going to leave it alone. i got to wait till the end. I was about to get too excited. So he says, what does that have to do with me? My hour is not yet, meaning it's not the time. I see Sharon smiling because I already told her something. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Okay, I'm going to go for it now. I'm not going to read the whole story. I was going to read the whole story, but I'm just going to keep breaking it down as we go. Can we do that? Okay, cool. So Jesus' response says, what do I have to do with this? It's not time. What did Jesus say in the other three Gospels when he's telling about this whole bride idea? Y'all remember, we just read it. It's a whole story, and he does this parable about this huge wedding celebration, about the clothes being new, and about the wine, right? But John doesn't tell us about it. Why? This is John telling us about that idea right now. Like he's telling us a story that is telling us everything Jesus said in the other one. He just does it with a more colorful brush, okay? And so what he's doing right here is when Jesus responds, what do I have to do with that? What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, what does us not fasting have anything to do with what you're doing? I didn't come for you. Not now. Come, come. He says, it's not now. And then his mother says to the servants, do whatever he says. His mother says to the servants, do whatever he says. Now, seemingly, when she said this and they agreed to do so, everything changes because before, Jesus was like, Nah, ain't like not my time. And then all of a sudden she just says, Hey, do whatever he says. And then it says, There were six water pots of stone in the manner for the purifying of the Jews, containing two to three uh, firkins uh, a piece. And Jesus said, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Let's stop. So some, Jesus changed his mind quite quickly. Why? Because the servant said yes. The servants said yes. And so he says, all right, he looks around, he uses what's around him there. And what does he use? He uses these six water pots. I'm going to go, I'm going to leave certain things alone. Maybe, maybe not. Can y'all keep your big boy pants on for a minute? Okay. Six water pots of stone for the manner of purifying the Jews, containing two or three uh, firkins apiece. Okay, real quick, how much is in each one of these? It varies anywhere from between like, some people estimate like 10 gallons a piece, and some people estimate it could be upwards of 30 gallons a piece, because they are different sizes. Times six. Ah, that's a lot of wine. <laughs> I mean, it, they just started their own winery right there. It's the Crystal Ray wine. It's right here. Why? Why so much? You're like, because it's going to be a party. No, he's trying to say there's a massive feast happening with this thing. What was he saying about the old? Remember putting the old and new together? It's almost like there's so many scriptures talking about there's room enough in my house. It's almost like there's another one that we're going to read about this about this wedding feast that's so huge, but yet people don't show up. So it's a ton, and they're ready. Now, real quick, the, the jars that they use are this uh, are this... Stone jars. And the reason you need to know about the stone jars is because in Moses' time, there was specific material you could use that, was not, that would not be tainted by other things, and it was only stone. You could not use leather. You couldn't use anything else. But a stone jar could be reused for multiple purposes, okay? They, they had these different things and stuff. There's all kinds of symbolism. We won't go into it. But the stone itself was important to this because it meant these were things that were pure, vessels that were pure notice he didn't say go bring me the wine barrels or the wine skins that you already had why because you don't put new wine in old wine skins y'all seeing this (laughs) y'all seeing this okay so he says let's take something over here that is that is pure but what's in it is not because these six vases they used for sure four of them but potentially more of them to wash their hands, their feet, and their dishes in. (laughs) Some of y'all like that was, man, like that expression, someone stuck their foot off in it, is a real thing. (laughs) So Jesus uses what's immediately around them, something that the vessel itself is what it was supposed to be, but what was inside of it was impure, and he takes it and makes it the best. Come on, guys. That's supposed to be you. The vessel that God made you is intended to be pure, but what's inside of it is not. We need to get that stuff, remove it, and put something new in it. But what does he do? He doesn't just empty them out. He just takes what's there. Oh, it's almost like there's a scripture that says he takes those things that were meant for destruction, but he turns them for good. You're not seeing all this, all this stuff. You see, y'all just read stuff in the Bible and be like, "Woohoo! Jesus made wine. That gives me a license to do what I want. That's not what he's trying to get at at all. It has nothing to do with it. So he uses the things that they were already used. Guys, guys, guys. And it was for purifying. It was a ritual that they were used to doing. And he took the very vessel, the very thing they used in the old rituals, and turned it into something new. But you read it, and you want to... You Sign it off as just something else. And it's like, no, there's spirit in here that's trying to shift and change your method of understanding what Christ came to do. I'm almost done. Well, I mean, for today. We're just going to push pause and pick up on Wednesday. But So what happens right here? These, these purifying barrels, y'all seeing that? He took it, and there's a ton of it. <laughs> now, real quick, just for fun, um, notice it says Six. Numbers have no power, but they have meaning. Six is one shy of seven. Seven means complete. Six means incomplete. Six means to fall short of. So he takes things that are fallen short, turns it into something new. And in verse seven, Jesus says, Fill the water pots with water. I am living water. I'll just pepper that in there. And it says they filled them to the brim. So they're like kind of low because they've been washing things in it. And he says, fill it all the way back up with fresh living water. But the word brim means all the way to the top or to a point of overflow. So to fill them up. Make a mess. And then he said to them, draw it out and bear it to the governor of the feast. Now, real quick, okay? So basically, get you a ladle of that stuff and go serve it to the governor of the feast. We don't have governors of the feast. That's not how we do things. But the governor of the feast is like... Someone that's within the wedding party that is the one who orchestrates everything. Make sure there's always enough this, always enough that. Like, make sure everybody can enjoy Like, this was a super high honor. There's another word for it. Bride chamber. I feel like saying, can I get an amen? Y'all see this? So he says, take it out and go serve it to the governor of the feast, go serve it to the bride chamber, go give it to them. And they buried it there. Verse 9, and when the ruler of the feast, so this governor, this, this, this bride chamber, when the person that was coordinating it, which mind you, they must have not done a good job if they ran out of wine. Maybe it's almost like it wasn't enough, big enough, without Christ. Hmm. Y'all think Jesus made the way smaller, he made it bigger. He didn't make it easier. See, y'all got mixed next up. Oh, I just heard that. I just, uh, there's a devil in here. I'm going to chase him out. That's what my dad used to say. <laughs> I just heard someone say, no, narrow is the way. The narrow and wide doesn't have to do with how many. It has to do with how difficult. He did make it wider for everyone, but it is extremely difficult because it like, cost you everything like it did him. That's the point of being a Christian like Christ because it cost him everything. It's supposed to cost you everything. If it doesn't cost you everything, you're not doing it right. Okay. So, when the ruler of this feast had tasted the water that was made to wine and knew not where it was from, he didn't know where it was from, but the servants withdrew it, knew. Guys, you're supposed to be called a servant. You're supposed to know where it comes from, but everyone else doesn't know where it comes from. And then you're supposed to show them where it comes from. And the governor of the feast called to the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning does set forth the best, or the good wine. And then when men have well drunk, <laughs> then they give them the worst stuff. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this was the beginning of the miracles of Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples did believe on him. Let's just, let's just break this last part down. Men, the way man does it is this way. <laughs> they're going to give you the very best they got first and they're going to get worse as time goes on. <laughs> Did I not just describe humanity? I'm only in my, my early 30s and getting out of the bed is worse than it was when I was 16. <laughs> Things get worse. But he says, what you've done... Who's done? The bridegroom has done. Who's the bridegroom everywhere else in scripture? Christ. What you've done. Now, before someone goes runs off of here, I just heard someone thinking, like, this was Jesus' wedding and he got married, and it's Mary Magdalene, and you went to Da Vinci Code. Not hidden knowledge. Shut up with that nonsense. Okay? This is symbolism. He says, in the bridegroom, he says, what you've done, bridegroom, you've done it completely reverse. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's not, it's not the same way. It's done exactly the opposite. He said, you gave us the very best at the end. The dishwater. You waited till the end to give it. Y'all in these similarities? It's a wedding feast. These new clothes, these robes of righteousness are to be given to everyone. There's this huge feast and party going on. That we're supposed to be apt. Christ is providing it and making the way for it. He's saying, I got something new. I'm not doing away with the old. I'm fulfilling the old. Can I just go ahead and say it? I'm going to. The vessels were not completely full and he filled them. Why was that have to be mentioned? Because they needed more wine? No, because he's trying to show there's a fulfillment happening of everything that was. So you can walk into something new. What kind of new? renewed revelation says this at the end I saw a new heaven and a new earth the word new there means to be renovated like renewed not a brand new one he didn't demolish it and then get he said I renewed it I put it back together the way it was how was it tree of life Garden of Eden direct access to the Spirit of God Christ made the way for that y'all seeing this this is what the next 10 weeks holds is just me telling you the same thing over and over again with all these different stories You're like, sweet, don't have to come anymore. (laughs) New wine in a new vessel, but similar to the old. Then there's other scriptures that say the latter will be greater than the past or the rest. This is the meaning of the wedding at Cana. This is one of Jesus' first things that he begins to help us understand. One of the first things is, I came to fulfill all of this, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm not going to destroy that, but I'm going to turn it on its head, get you back to the Spirit of God, it's going to drive you right back to doing the things that, that Genesis tells you to do, that Exodus tells you to do. But... You're going to see it through the Spirit of God. And so the next thing he says is, as I fulfilled it, here's how I'm going to do it. So now we know how he's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it, but he's not completely destroying what was, the structure of what was, but he's removing the hearts that created it to be what it was.